0: Hi, I'm Jason.
1: And I'm Scott. Welcome to Skipped on Shuffle, a podcast where we delve into an overlooked song by a popular artist.
0: Today's episode, we're covering the Beatles song, Hey Bulldog, off their 1969 album, Yellow Submarine.
1: This is a very special episode for us for a few reasons. Uh, The biggest being that it is our first episode where we are going to have a guest on the show. Uh, We have done almost 60 episodes so far, and so far it's always been just Jason and I. But uh, today we have a special guest in uh, BJ Lederman. Now, you may not recognize his name, but he is the primary theme songwriter for many of the most popular NPR shows that you've probably been listening to for most of your life. That includes Morning Edition, Weekend Edition, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, Science Friday, and more. And so he uh, actually reached out to us. He came across a Skipped On Shuffle episode, I believe our Simon and Garfunkel episode, if I remember correctly, and really enjoyed it and uh, told us that it reminded him of an idea that he had had for a similar situation of examining overlooked songs and so we got to talking and decided that uh, it would be really fun to have him on the show to talk about a band that he's really passionate about. And without, without a doubt, BJ is the most passionate about the Beatles. I, I don't know. He might be the, the biggest Beatles fan on the planet, as far as <laughs> I can tell. And uh, so, so, yeah, so we thought it would be a great idea to have him on the show and talk about the Beatles and reflect on his own development as a Beatles fan, but also focusing on this Passover gem of a Beatles song called Hey Bulldog.
0: It's funny because some of our listeners know and maybe keeping track that we've kind of avoided some of the bigger bands thus far. I mean we've covered some obviously. I mean we 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 say it right in our tagline popular artists and they certainly are but it's hard to get more popular than the Beatles. I think I can say that now without getting in trouble that they're <laughs> <laughs> they're very popular. Um, and <laughs> Uh, you know, like the, the Rolling Stones, Prince, Neil Young, I mean, Bruce Springsteen is like a ton left on our, our, we, we, we have a very robust list of people to go. And, um, it's funny that we've partially consciously avoided cause it's, you know, kind of hard to approach like what is a skipped on shuffle song for, of the Beatles where, you know, it, it everything is popular. And I think we picked one of the ones that in at least fairly recently has come to kind of more prominence. So maybe we're slightly behind the ball here and people have kind of picked up on like, oh, Hey Bulldog is kind of an overlooked Beatles song. And we'll kind of delve into the history of the band and kind of why that came to be how anybody throughout the history of this you know, massive band maybe hasn't heard this song or maybe hasn't really fully appreciated it. Just kind of the way that things worked out in history has kind of treated it So we're happy to kind of jump on and give the song a little bit of an extra boost and uh, Really encourage everyone to take a second listen and we're happy to have BJ kind of second our opinion there um, About how great this song is. So let's get into the history of the Beatles So since this is the Beatles and many robust histories of the band have been written, we're going to try to quickly get through the history um, in order to jump to Yellow Submarine and Hey Bulldog and other related topics, because likely we're telling a, a lot of things here that people might already know, but will help for, you know, a little bit of context. The Beatles began with John Lennon and Paul McCartney playing music together in their home of Liverpool as teenagers in 1957. The following year, George Harrison would join the band on guitar, and by 1960, the Beatles were playing in Hamburg, Germany, with a steady string of residencies over the next two years. When they weren't overseas, they were performing around Liverpool and growing in popularity in their hometown. In early 1962, they officially made Brian Epstein, a local record store owner and music columnist, their manager. A few months later, he landed them a deal with EMI and their Parlophone label and a producer by the name of George Martin. Martin soon had the Beatles replace their drummer, Pete Best. By summer of 1962, Best was out and Ringo Starr was in. This completed the Beatles lineup, and we should give a shout out to George Martin and Brian Epstein as well in this arrangement, as they would help launch the band into a category of fame few artists have ever or will ever reach. They began recording with Martin, getting down such now classic singles as Love Me Do, and their first number one single, Please Please Me. Let's take a listen. At the end of 1962, the Beatles finished their fifth residency in Hamburg and were ready to turn their attention to making albums. In February, the band recorded 10 tracks in a single session on a single day. These tracks supplemented the earlier singles to round out their debut album, Please Please Me. The Beatles promoted the record... With From Me to You and She Loves You, the latter of which would become the UK's fastest selling record, moving 750,000 copies in less than a month. She Loves You would be the first record to sell a million copies and remain the best selling record in the UK until 1978. So that deserves a spin. Here's She Loves You. As everyone knows, after these releases, Beatlemania took shape, and the band began to tour extensively, and when they weren't touring, they were recording in the studio or dodging the increasing frenzy around the band. Their sophomore album with the Beatles was released towards the end of 1963. Interestingly, none of the songs were released as singles, and instead the label put out the record and then released the single I Want to Hold Your Hand, which wasn't even an album cut, but let's take a listen to that one. That song was famously part of their set on The Ed Sullivan Show when the Beatles made the trek to America. It is estimated that their performance on the show was watched by over 73 million people, over a third of the entire U.S. population at the time. Also around this time, the Beatles signed a three-film deal with United Artists. The first movie they made was A Hard Day's Night, and a record of the same name was released as their third album. While the UK version of the record featured songs from the film as a soundtrack on one side, supplemented with other new songs not featured in the film, the US version had soundtrack songs, one song that was cut from the film, I'll Cry Instead, and instrumental versions of four songs created by George Martin working with an orchestra. This record, while the UK version, highlighted the new direction of the band, which abandoned covers, solidified Lennon and McCartney as the primary songwriters, with Harrison's and Starr's vocals becoming more limited. The band would briefly skip this transitional phase with their fourth album, Beatles for Sale. That album did feature many covers as with their first two records, but also hinted towards more experimentation in the studio, including using reverb and feedback and incorporating different instrumentation, such as varied types of drums. Help, their fifth record, was once again a soundtrack to accompany their second film, with the UK release drastically different from the North American release again, with several orchestral pieces. I mention these differences because Capitol Records released the Beatles albums in America, which were different from the Parlophone releases in the UK, and I feel this difference might help explain some of the reasoning and reaction when we get to our discussion of Yellow Submarine, which was also a soundtrack. Before we get there, let's take a listen to one of the most enduring singles from that album, and one that features only a single Beatle, Paul McCartney, and his song Yesterday.
2: Yesterday
0: Their next two records, 1965's Rubber Soul and 1966's Revolver, completely changed the musical landscape in terms of the quality of songwriting and use of the studio to craft many unique compositions which, at the time, would be difficult or impossible to accurately reproduce on stage, given the instrumentation involved in sonic experimentation in the studio. A great example of this new frontier would be the Lennon-penned Tomorrow Never Knows. Let's take a listen. around this time the Beatles were encountering a number of press problems including Lennon's well-known comments about the popularity of the band and Jesus and Christianity. In a trip to the Philippines the band declined an invitation from the first lady at the presidential palace that resulted in a riot from the perceived insult. As for touring the Beatles were playing shows in stadiums so large to crowds of constantly screaming fans no matter the amplification the songs weren't being heard and they felt the shows were no longer about the music. Faced with these increasing pressures from the public and the direction of their studio experimentation, they ceased to be a touring band and instead focused their attention solely on writing and recording. It proved to be a wise decision as the band released one of the most influential albums of all time, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band in 1967. We won't say much about the record since it's innovative in so many ways, it deserves more attention than we're adequately able to give it here. But let's take a listen to the album's traumatic closer, A Day in the Life. The Beatles quickly followed up the record with another, by the end of the same year, Magical Mystery Tour, which has a soundtrack to a TV film of the same name. In the UK, the new songs were released as a double EP, while it received a release in the US with the A-side as the soundtrack and the B-side including recent singles. The band followed a more psychedelic direction with the record, but still had a number of catchy pop tunes, including McCartney's Hello Goodbye, one of the singles I just mentioned. Let's take a listen. During work on the record, their manager, Brian Epstein, died of a prescription drug overdose. The event left the band members disagreeing on which direction to go. McCartney wanted to work on the record, George Harrison wanted to pursue transcendental meditation, and Lennon was in no rush to get back to work. While I'm sure the band had disagreements in the past, this crossroads was the start of the differing directions and expectations for the band, and these feelings would only intensify. The lack of a collaborative approach and attitude is heard most profoundly on their self-titled double record, often called The White Album, released in 1968. The sessions were tense, with each member working on songs individually or without all four members present in the studio. Most significantly, Lennon and McCartney were at odds, to put it mildly. After this, the band worked on Yellow Submarine, which is where today's song Hey Bulldog comes from, so we'll come back to this soundtrack album shortly. The Beatles would continue with their internal struggles, but managed to produce two more albums, Abbey Road and Let It Be, before calling it quits in 1970 after a decade together. John, Paul, George, and Ringo all went their separate ways, and there's plenty more to talk about with each of their careers. But let's go back a few years to Yellow Submarine and this episode's song, Hey Bulldog.
1: we hope you're enjoying this episode of skipped on shuffle right about now in most podcasts you'd be hearing an ad for something uh but we are trying to keep skipped on shuffle ad free and the way we're going to be able to do that is through patreon
0: please visit our patreon page at patreon.com skipped on shuffle any donations go to support the costs associated with running this podcast
1: So you just heard Jason give a history of the Beatles, a very brief history to give an overview for people who maybe aren't super familiar with the group. But uh, now we want to bring in BJ Lederman, who is the guest of, of this episode, uh, who is Beatles fan number one and uh, is going to help us sort of get to the bottom of what was going on at the time with the Beatles when they were making this song, Hey Bulldog, and the companion album with it, uh, the soundtrack to the film Yellow Submarine. So uh, yeah, so welcome, BJ. Thank you so much for being on our show. Hello, it's good
2: to
0: be here. It's good to be anywhere at my age. <laughs> so we're obviously, Scott mentioned, talking about Yellow Submarine, so we're back in the late Beatles era of 68, 69. The band is kind of starting to fall apart at this point and feeling a little bit more like a, a day job, I think. I don't know if you'd agree with that, like kind of clocking in, clocking out. And Well,
2: you know, they were tired of... <laughs> Who wouldn't be tired? <laughs> you know, who wouldn't be tired if, if you're a Beatle? I mean, if if you've seen that uh, Martin Scorsese documentary, the four-hour thing about George Harrison, you know, there's a cut in there where they're interviewing um Eric Clapton. <laughs> they just cut to him and he's laying on a couch, and the interviewer had just asked him, you know, what it was like hanging with the Beatles, and at once they even asked him to join. After he you know came in and did that solo on while my guitar gently, first he said you know I can't go in the studio with you. You kidding? (laughs) And but when he he said, my God, it's like everything's on ten. You know, it's it's frenetic. They love each other on ten. They hate each other on ten. Things by then, yeah, they knew they were winding down, and I was a kid. You know it it was my parents that turned me on to the Beatles. Dad worked at a um department store, and one of the departments sold records and one day he brought home Meet the Beatles, which was I believe the first you know American album because back in those days they would release a different different set of cuts you know on an album with a different title a different cover and um this was my first intro I think it was before. My mother plopped me down in front of the TV to watch uh, the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show, you know. And I, it's a, you know, a TV back then was a TV with a speaker the size of you know a saucer, but still, um, something went through my whole body then, and I, I said, I don't know what this is, you know. I I know the music, I love the music, but to see them. Anyway, it was an experience. But back to the the matter at hand.
0: So yeah, I mean, this is kind of an interesting time for the band cuz they're coming off sort of the high of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band and Magical Mystery Tour having done Well, it wasn't such a high if you ask John. <laughs> John, John called it Paul's granny music. For yeah, for magi- yeah, Magical Mystery Tour was again one of, one of those moments of tension in the band turned turned up to 10. And th- i find yellow submarine so interesting because they're under contract they had signed this three film deal had two done didn't like either of them and then had yellow submarine coming up and we're like what's the bare minimum we can do and it and it it was kind of like okay we gotta we we have to be in it and we can just appear at the end and other people are gonna voice us and I don't know if you had watched the Beatles cartoon. I did, but I, I think did. a lot of that attitude was was in reference to you know this crazy weird cartoon for that ran for a couple of years. I was pretty well pissed off too because I knew that wasn't
2: Paul. You know? <laughs> I, I knew that voice wasn't Paul. Ringo. Yeah. <laughs> you know whatever. <laughs> I I sort of I was. So my grandmothers, you know, my parents would dump me and my grandparents, and but they would put the, the Beatles cartoon on. Yeah, the Beatles were not so keen uh, to be a part of the movie because it was being uh, done by the same bloke that did the cartoon. Uh, they didn't want to do Yellow Submarine. It was Al Brodax, and he was the one who, who produced uh, the cartoon show. But when, he went, when they went by um, to see uh, a cut, Of it, You know, at the animation studio, um, they were really impressed with Heinz Edelman and the animator. And, you know, you could tell. You you didn't, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that, especially John, but then the rest of them would look at what what was on the screen and go, oh, my God, this is not the Beatles cartoon. This is, in fact, what we see when we close our eyes because of the LSD we (laughs) took.
1: You know? Yeah, just 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 for the people listening, uh, just, just so you guys know, if you haven't seen, there's it is a stark contrast between the Beatles Saturday morning cartoon show and Yellow Submarine. Yellow Submarine is psychedelic, colorful, bizarre, you know, abstract weirdness. And then the Beatles Saturday morning cartoon show is just very straight-laced, all straight lines, very boring, very bland. I,
2: I thought it was lame, but, you know, I was a Beatle maniac by then. You know, I would have watched... Uh You know, stick figures, Um, (laughs) you know, with slightly Australian
0: accents. And if it was a logo that said the Beatles, I would have gone, yeah. That's kind of the, the visual side of things. Yeah. And then on the soundtrack side, they have to deliver a handful of songs. So basically, even though the film features kind of a number of tunes, the soundtrack was only six songs. Two of them, no surprise, but Yellow Submarine and All You Need Is Love two that had they had already recorded a couple of George Harrison songs only a northern song that was left over from Sgt. Peppers along with the very trippy it's all too much so that very well fits in with that movie and all together now which was a McCartney tune left over from magical mystery tour and then our song today hey bulldog so I think it's kind of interesting they're at this point where they're sort of it's weird to call to say that the Beatles were kind of scraping at the bottom of the barrel for some ideas at this point, but kind of feels like maybe a little bit or in the case of Hey Bulldog, maybe getting looser with
2: it. I think that maybe psychically they were scraping more than artistically, you know, mm. because and and it really doesn't matter. You know, here, here's the thing. The reason a lot of people don't know about Hey Bulldog is because it was the sequence from the movie Hey Bulldog, the American version of the movie, excuse excuse me, of Yellow Submarine, the song Hey Bulldog was cut out. talk about the song um yeah john said okay you know it's a good song which means absolutely nothing uh, fine you know half of your songs were good songs that meant absolutely nothing you know the the first three albums or whatever was you know i love you you love me i lost you you know until dylan said here toke on this john, <laughs> and go into there and write some songs about Folk in something
1: you know and yeah and we and we mentioned in the in the history portion of of this episode we mentioned that the the band had had sworn off touring by this point as well or years before they recorded the L.S.M. Marine thing. So they weren't bogged down with with having to get on a bus and go play for a bunch of screaming fans who weren't even listening to what they were playing. So so yeah, they had this like real experimentation you know thing going on where they could just like go wild in the studio, but with Hey Bulldog they were kind of stripping that back a bit. Yeah,
2: they did it in a day, about a 10-hour session. And um, they took about 10 takes for a rhythm track. And I think there's a quote with John, you know, he just said uh, to... To George Martin up in the booth, you know, we'll just we'll just keep doing them. And you tell us when we get a good one, you know. By that time, you know, they they went from okay, we're John was going okay, spin me from a rope. (laughs) I want to sound like a monk singing in a canyon. (laughs) So spin me from a rope. I'll hold the mic, and uh, we have a thing that can do that, John. It's called an automatic doubler. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's funny why they were even in the studio at the time and cameras were all were also rolling because they're trying to make a promotional video for lady madonna which is a paul mccartney song and they basically get into the studio and again there's some variances to the 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 facts around this but basically john lennon was like screw that we're not gonna fake playing lady madonna i have the song hey bulldog what? we're gonna work it out now we're gonna lay it down we might just as- yeah, we might as well play, play for real. And that kind of goes with that kind of more relaxed attitude because you can imagine them, you know, sitting in the studio for days and weeks, you know, playing parts, trying to get that basic track down and doing overdubs as opposed to this, which is that like back in the old days of one, one day, you're in, you're done, and that's the track.
2: Well, I have an argument with that theory. I don't have an argument with most of the story because yes it's true that they had just finished up recording and mixing lady madonna the day before and they were okay with a film crew coming in and recording them while they i mean they thought that what they're going to do was you know just um lip sync to lady madonna and have the camera crew do various shots from various angles la da da Well, if you look closely, this is what it seems to me like they're doing. It seems to me like they are playing to a mix down that they got done.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was just a way that they did things at the time where, you know, you you would be able to record visuals of a band playing and then record or or have a pre-recorded version of audio and then put it together and that was like the precursor to the music video but it wasn't nearly as choreographed or played live or anything like that as we would do nowadays so but it is interesting that you know that they did all these little tricks but so so you're basically saying that during this video they weren't recording people Bulldog. Uh, let me let me they break in were, and say
2: i'm not saying that they weren't doing that the whole time I oh, okay. I would be semi certain that if you looked at certain scenes yes you caught them actually recording a track that is on the the record it's on the song but I think more than you know 70% maybe is them listening to playback Thank you.
1: So we've got we've got a bunch of background about this about this song which is which is great but I, I we also want to know so you've mentioned you know that this is a favorite of yours this is a you've mentioned this was like a top five Beatles rock song and and one of the best guitar solos of a Beatles song that you've that you've heard so give us like your personal you, you you mentioned that you kind of didn't really get into the song until later so what happened when you first heard it when you first heard the the yellow submarine soundtrack
2: the groove of Hey Bulldog. You you can go back to the demarcations okay are you a after you get through are you a Beatles or Stones person you go okay you're a Beatles or Beach Boys person. And even back then I I didn't I wasn't able to put my finger on it but the Beatles their rhythm had balls. Paul and excuse me um Paul and Ringo right from the get-go. You know, one, two, three, five! You could not not move your hips. And then you think of the Beach Boys, and I can't think of one song, I guess until Sail On Sailor, that had any amount of groove in it at all. Sonically, musically, there is no balls to most of the Beach Boys songs. The beaters could put balls on a song that's not supposed to have it.
0: So in in some ways like Hey Bulldog is showing off the absolute prowess of how heavy this band is especially when you think about the intro because you know banging away on piano guitar and drums come in and then Paul's got the final addition to the song when when y- that bass
2: yes, part Yes yes you can talk to me the He doubles the bass super loud and maybe octave lower, I think.
1: I first heard the track, I was sort of reminded of how, like Jason said, of how heavy the Beatles could be, you know, like, I mean, a lot of the songs that I think the casual Beatles listener associates with they're they're not usually the heavy songs you know you mentioned revolution obviously that's that's a song that that is a little louder or maybe helter skelter that's something that i feel like has made it into like the general public conscience but most of the songs are the bubblegum pop stuff from from the early years you know she loves you and all that stuff so yeah, like when you when you reminded that oh this band could rock, you know when they when they when they set out and said this is what we're gonna do, they could be a loud raucous, you know rock band with with some with some balls and uh, and I don't know like what was this? How many how many other songs were there like this after this song came out? I mean it wasn't many because there's only what there's only two more records
0: after this. Yeah, one, right? Abbey Road and Let It Be, and I I mean. I I feel like there are maybe moments. I mean, I, I think of like I want you. She's so heavy. Yes,
2: but you're right. The 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 rock and roll stuff. Um, you know the four four on the floor, straight rock and roll like Revolution. I remember where I was when I first heard um, Come Together. When it was released, it was so important to me. My parents taking us out to dinner, and I knew that our local rock FM station was going to premiere it at 7. And so I said, Dad, we promised me that if we're not home by then, you you know, you put the car radio on WNOR, horrors, you know, never rock and roll in the car. (laughs) He said, yeah, we'll do that. And sure enough, we were out of the restaurant and in the car and at the first stoplight on the way home, 7 o'clock, and this thing came on. I said, turn it up, turn it up. And I felt the same kind of tingle in my bones from head to toe that I felt when I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan Show. It was a whole different thing because it was spooky. It was intense. They had invented, you know, John had an in, invented a whole new feel. You know, it, they, you know, they said the Beach Boys when Paul came to the United States and. Uh, went to a radio station that played his test pressing of *Sgt. Pepper* in San Francisco. That the Beach Boys were listening, and after the record had played, they looked at each other and went, "What are we gonna do now?" You know, I think that they they had this powerhouse, storehouse of creativity to create new things still left.
0: When we think about the context that Hey Bulldog showed up in, and we we kind of touched on parts of this a little bit, which is, you know, it's a soundtrack and a soundtrack that came out well after the film had come out because the Beatles are prepping and releasing their self-titled album, the White Album, at around the same time. So the soundtrack kind of had to be put off. And then when the soundtrack comes out, I mentioned before, um, earlier in the episode, there's two older songs that are reissued on it, four new songs, including Hey Bulldog. And then a whole other side of the LP is all George Martin's orchestral score for the film. And people didn't really like this very much. I, I'm i am from, from what I read, and maybe you can confirm that this kind of pissed people off.
2: you are absolutely right.
0: Both people and critics. They felt that, you know, for the
2: first time the Beatles were kinda of short changing. And you know, I don't think the Beatles were any happy about it either. Um shortchanging their audience where they'd usually given them more than enough for their buck.
0: Yeah, so it's it's funny that that's part of the reason how this song gets lost, because probably fans picked it up and they're like damn i really want these like new songs but i'm not gonna pay this much money for them and it's interesting because apparently this again was like contractual obligation things where george martin could get his stuff on there because they kind of looked at the idea of can we release an ep can we do something to put these songs out so fans don't feel as cheated And don't mind, you know, buying, buying this because clearly most fans aren't interested in, you know, what George, George Martin is dreaming up beyond what he brings to the Beatles tracks in, in the studio. They're not interested in his own compositions.
2: Right. I think most, most of the listeners were of that mind. And again, they were probably, you know, you could march into your parents' room and go, Hey, look, ma, this is. This is a Beatle album, but on George Martin's side. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: they'd be like, oh, wow, this is, this is nice. This is nice. <laughs> oh,
2: you know, <laughs> the Beatles were one of the few bands back then that uh, evolved musically and took their audience with them. You know, when you think it's only basically three years between She Loves You and Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, that's mind-blowing. OK, you go to the earliest Stones album, <laughs> listen to some of that. You go to Five Years Later, listen to some of that. You go to Now, and it's the same, you know, it's Chuck Berry bass riff, you know, with four on the floor and two guitars. <laughs>
0: That's, a, I think, a great point for the band is, you know, so many listeners... It, for for so many other bands when they change or try something new there's so many fans who are just like okay I'm out like I'm I'm done now and the beatles fans right were fine right it's called the so- it's called the sophomore curse
2: sophomore album curse because if you are l- lucky or unlucky enough to make it big on your first album and if you did it taking the advice of your A&R person or the record label here you got to do this you can't do this stuff that you really love the stuff that you write we'll do that later okay so if you you come out with an album that's great but it's not what you want to do it's not you and then on your second album you feel that you can put out the stuff that's in your soul and your whole audience is going what the hell is this This, this is, and then you put out a third album, and it's you know more of the maybe you bring it back a little toward the first album because you've lost half of your fans, you know, and they don't realize. So the Beatles pulled a car, you know, a hat trick off by um by going from the early stuff and then going you know quote unquote unplugged, um, and then just zigzagging and taking their audience with them. I thought that's. But can you imagine the disappointment? They had worked all their lives, you know, hard trips and playing five-hour nights or whatever in Hamburg to get to the top. And they finally get to the top and come to America, and they realize it's a circus. A, nobody is hearing their music. cuz sound's not getting out there because of the screaming and the poor PA systems. And it's getting to be a drag. They, they you know, John can't even— stand talking to the press cuz it's the same same old stuff and um, they realize their fame is a monster it's just a monster they didn't they weren't able to do it right and so what a disappointment i guess that had to happen in order for them <clears throat> excuse me to say that's not for us we're going in the studio and we're going to do whatever we want
0: It's interesting that throughout that, they always kind of make room for the blues, as you mentioned, in in terms of, you know, something where it's what sets them apart from the stones. But they also, in the midst of all this, don't lose their roots. And, hey, Bulldog is, again, one of those, like, return to roots and when you think about this period of time, I always think of Hey Bulldog as kind of like drinking from the well to get refreshed.
2: And by that time, they were reading each other's minds, you know, musically. I bet, you know, they heard if John was the one who first sat down and went, don't sheep dog. And there is a cut somewhere of the the part. And he sings, she can talk to me. She can talk to me. It's a very rusty cassette type of thing, but it's on online. Um, it's, it's really interesting to hear, you know, where these songs come from, and I think we're blessed that we have this treasure trove that they they chose to say, at least the you know the Paul and Ringo and the the estate of of uh, John and George said yes, let's put put it out there, let's make it shiny, let's let the people who have given. Us, they're all, you know, giving us their money. <laughs> As George said in, in the uh, anthology, said, Well, you know, they gave us their money and their cheers, but we, we gave up our nervous systems. <laughs> uh, we're lucky. I feel blessed to have been a kid and a teenager. And I have a band now, and we play Hey Bulldogs.
1: Thank you so much, BJ, for 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 taking the time to to tell us about this. It's really cool that you gave us like uh, a personal connection to this song because, like I said, Jason and I, we we tend to you know uh, give our own personal connections to the songs that we cover, but we you know we weren't we weren't alive and and like present <laughs> at this time, and so you know it's it's really cool that that we're able to get that perspective you know in a contemporary sense. Uh, for a song like this, which is you know unfortunately uh, passed over by lots of people, even even hardcore Beatles fans,
2: thank you for having me on. Um, I stumbled across your your show and I was thrilled by it and um no, but when I skipped on shuffle it, it got my interest and then when I heard the episodes heard what it was about it's i think it 's one of the things that 's needed it It fills a hole it doesn 't actually duplicate what other people are doing out there so um, kudos to you, and thank you for letting
1: me be on the show. All right. It was really exciting to have BJ on the show to give us sort of his own personal connection to this song and the Beatles as a group. But uh, unfortunately for for me, I'm the the odd man out in in this group talking here, where I am not the hugest Beatles fan, and I and I really haven't been my whole life, and I've always felt this this kind of like, uh, self-consciousness about that, because I feel like, you know, if you, if you're not a huge Beatles fan, especially me as a musician, if you're not a huge Beatles fan, you're, you're, you're kind of looked at as if you're a freak, as if you don't understand the language that everyone else is speaking. But at the same time, it is interesting because, uh, the things that I really like about the Beatles are songs like this, are songs like, Hey Bulldog. And I think the th- this has been a, 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 an interesting and special episode for me because I had never heard this this song before. Before we all sat down and said, "Hey, let's do a Beatles episode," and BJ said, "I really want to do this song, Hey Bulldog." Um, I had never heard the song before because I'm not the hugest Beatles fan. But when I heard the song, I was like, "Ah, this is the kind of Beatles that I like." This is you know the the Beatles that I immediately attached to cuz you know my favorite Beatles song is She's So Heavy. I like that dark weird kind of rockish, you know, the they're like their ballsy side. And I feel like it's a side of them that kind of gets passed over by a lot of casual Beatles listeners. Um and so yeah, so I was really excited to do this this song but but I have no direct personal connection to this song or the uh or the Beatles really in general. And so it's it's been exciting to sort of step back and hear, you know, BJ talk about this and and give his own thing, because it really reminds me about like how passionate people are about this group. And how even a song like Hey Bulldog, which, you know, most listeners probably don't know, still elicits that same amount of passion and excitement from him, which is which is really, you know, it's kind of infectious for for somebody like me.
0: As Scott said, a lot of that enthusiasm that BJ had, uh, my my mother shares for the Beatles. So I am well versed in all the Beatles material through her. Many mornings, throwing on whether it was like a a block of Beatles songs on the radio, or putting on the albums, or when they, or 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 putting on CDs, whatever it might be, I kind of heard everything and. Hey Bulldog kind of came as somewhat of a surprise because as we mentioned the Yellow Submarine album doesn't really get that much play I'm not I don't even know if it's one that my mom even owns I I think she might have every other one of them uh so falling into that category of like I'm not paying for all this other all this (laughs) other stuff um and so I didn't hear it until The Yellow Submarine song track came out, which was uh, towards the end of the 90s. I think it came out like 1999 and put all the songs from the film together. And it was also the first remastered Beatles songs because the original CDs that came out was basically one of those, you know, like just transfer to CD, don't do anything special. So, you know, nothing, nothing fabulous. And when I heard the remastered versions of the Beatles it was kind of like hearing a whole new side of these songs I was familiar with because just everything sounded so amazing and it's kind of that feeling when somebody probably remasters film where you've been watching like a film you love on a shitty VHS copy and then some like 4k remastered (laughs) you you know version comes out and you're like oh whoa like this movie actually isn't all grainy all the time now um and it was and it was that same kind of feeling it just kind of was it it was already eye-opening for me as a Beatles fan and and listener and then hearing that was just kind of like a whole nother experience of Listening to the band and finding the song Hey Bulldog on there, which was, you know, one that so many people have kind of missed out on. And it's such a fun, cool, bluesy song. So it's been really nice to just kind of talk about and come full circle. I mean, a lot of this music has been with me for a while, a lot of the episodes that we talk about, but probably The Beatles is some of my earliest music listening uh through my mom and you know growing up uh, about the same time as BJ it's it's always interesting to have a conversation with somebody else who was alive in that era and just how huge this band was and just how inescapable you know Beatlemania was at the time so I'm glad we finally got a chance to talk about the beatles and overcame our our fear of super popular van so maybe we'll <laughs> we'll definitely have to do some more in our future episodes uh but this was we just kind of want to thank bj liederman again for joining us as this was kind of a, a fun it's it's not quite as experimental as the beatles but having a guest on was an ex- an experiment all all on its own so we, we really appreciate that, and we hope that people enjoyed us having a, a guest on, and we hope everyone's looking forward to a lot more Skipped on Shuffle episodes. Please visit our website at www.skiptonshuffle.com for more news about other episodes and our upcoming schedule.
1: We are also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook Please visit SkippedOnShuffle.com for links to all of our social media pages.